Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we beseech you, Lord God, to touch us with your Spirit. Pray that you would open our hearts to your Word, that you would drive away the lies that the enemy tells us, that you would deliver us from the petty little thoughts we have toward each other, the hate we have towards our neighbors, the struggles we have in our hearts, the distractions we have in our minds. Lord, nothing that you don't want us to know would come from this message, but that we would be filled to overflowing, that you would create in us a heart that loves your word, that you would create in us a heart that counts on you to deliver us from sin. Lord God, that you would be blessed by our love and bless us with yours. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Um, As I studied this, I was really moved by the reality that I get to stand here today and tell you about the testimony of Jesus Christ. The privilege of getting to share my heart on what God is saying to us in his word is kind of overwhelming, really. And um, I want to just say to you that I, I pray for you this morning. I've been praying for you this morning, and I've been praying for myself that we would forget ourselves and that we would walk out of here focused on Jesus, that we would be able to see him through our heart, that we'd be able to recognize him in our lives, that we'd be able to recognize that when we look at someone else, Jesus looks at them. And when we look at ourselves, Jesus is looking at us. And that he, he would give us the ability to be thankful, that we would recognize that we have reason to be thankful. Um, let's go to the passage. We're going to go through First John chapter 5, verses uh, 6 through 17. But in in way of opening up to that, I'm just going to start with verses 4 and 5, just to get us in the place that the readers of 1 John were intended to be when they considered the testimony. Uh, It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. What is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And uh, Spurgeon identified faith as three things. Faith is knowledge, knowing what the testimony is. It's belief, meaning down inside deep we believe what the testimony is. And it's... um, Trust in what the testimony is. It's those three things, knowledge, belief, and trust. And as we think about this letter, we think about the fact that it was written to people who were struggling with Gnostic beliefs. And John and Tim have shared with us what, what Gnostic belief was. And some of that is, has to do with their disbelief in Jesus being God and man. I mean, they believe the Spirit came into Jesus but left him before Jesus died. And there's this whole trouble with the spirit and the flesh mixing and they they just didn't really believe and so by way of our thinking about this passage and and to get our minds as we renew our minds into what we're trying to learn from this passage I want you to think about 
What is it deep down inside your belief that you don't hold to be true? Because these people were believing things about Jesus. They knew that he died on the cross. They knew that he was claimed to be God. They knew, they knew things about Jesus, and they even believed some of those things. And I think that's true of us, too. I think we have our own kind of Gnosticism. I doubt it's probably the definition of Gnosticism, but what down deep in us do we not really believe? I mean, in this book, we have been learning that if you love Jesus, you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to think about that deep down inside you. Is, is there belief deep down inside you that results in your loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? How about, do we even think that we are brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, when I think about other people in my life, I often think about what dirtbags I think they are. Don't you ever think that kind of thing? But I don't think Jesus thought of them that way. In fact, he died for them. And deep down inside is my belief full enough of what Jesus says and what Jesus thinks and what Jesus does that it results in my believing like he believes. To where when I see someone who's struggling so much that Chris would judge them as a dirtbag, Jesus would think, now how can I help them? And especially in the brotherhood, because it's just said up here earlier in this passage, that you'll love the brotherhood. You'll love each other. What else? What else do we have down deep inside us? Do we really believe that sin is a big deal? I mean, if God crushed His Son for sin, to, to pay the price of sin, do we really have deep down inside our hearts the belief that sin is that big a deal? Or do we think, ah, oh, it's not really that big a deal. Let's don't get our knickers in a twist. We don't want to get too in trouble with the idea that, that we have to actually eradicate all sin from our lives. I mean, Jesus' command to the prostitute was, go and don't sin anymore. And is my belief deep down inside me, is it the kind of belief that drives me to believe that that's a good idea? Or do I think, well, Jesus has taken care of that. I don't really need to worry about that anymore. It's true that he's taken care of my condemnation as I put my faith in him. It's true that the, the, the one who believes overcomes the world. But do we even think we should overcome the world? I want us to really go with this this morning with the idea of, Holy Spirit, come and fill us and deep down inside change us to belief that results in the life of Christ in the world. That's what he's going to talk about this morning is what the testimony is, what, what we are to believe, what we can believe. If you read just chapters, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 through 9 with me, we'll, then we'll go through it a little bit. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, <clears throat> the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son." 
So what is he talking about here? Oftentimes we get into this passage and we go, I don't understand what he's talking about with the water and the spirit and the blood. But clearly he's making a big deal about it. He says, it's not just one, it's three, the water, the spirit, and the blood. So I thought, okay, I finally, I mean, I've read this before and I've often thought, what does that really mean? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to really figure out what this means. Okay, well... So one of the ideas is the water and the blood refers to the water of Jesus' baptism and the Last Supper. Because Jesus said, this is is my blood, take and drink, when he talked about the wine. But most theologians tend to think that's not really what it has to do with because the, the Last Supper had to do with the body and the flesh and the prayer and all these different things. And so it doesn't really wash that that's, that's what John was thinking about. Then there's those that think that the water and the blood has to do with the water and the blood that came out of Jesus' side when he was stabbed on the cross. And if you want to look at that, go to John 19. You don't need to, but if if you all remember, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and, and it was getting to be night and they wanted it to end because it was Passover, the guards went and they broke the knees of the people on the cross because when you're on the cross you you know you can't breathe because you're sunk down like this and as you sink it causes your diaphragm to drop down so you push yourself up on your legs to get a breath and so if they want you to die quicker they break your legs because then you can't push yourself up on your on your legs to get a breath and you suffocate and so that's how they would quicken the process of the cross and when they got to Jesus he it appeared he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. And if you think back into the passages in, in the Old Testament, it actually says that not a bro- bone of his will be broken. And it's really interesting that none of his bones were broken, even though the other people's bones were broken. But to ensure that he was dead, they took a spear and they stabbed him in the side. And he actually specifies, and water and blood came out when he speared him in the side. And that would make sense that the author of John, who said water and blood came out, here says water and blood. The two testify. So that one seems to make sense to me. Um, But then there's another one that has to do with the baptism, Jesus' baptism, and then the blood on the cross. And then that would encapsulate the the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When he was baptized, he went into his ministry. And the end of it, when he was killed on the cross. Now, I don't really like that because I don't think he, that was the end of his ministry. I think his ministry continues today. But as you can see, there's all kinds of ideas. There's even one that has to do with, uh, the water has to do with him being born of a woman because the woman's water breaks. And, and so that refer, refers to Jesus' humanity. And that would make sense if you think about, we're talking about who Jesus is. And if you think about it that he says, in verse 5, um, who is it that overcomes the, one, the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and this is he who came. So he says Jesus is the Son of God, and then he's explaining who that is. This is the Son of God. And so maybe that one would make sense. But the reality is, <clears throat> for most of us, we can't really come to a really deep conclusion of what the water and the blood is, can we? Because every theologian that thinks it's one, there's another one that thinks it's something else. And how do, we get, how do we get to that? And I think in this we really learn a very important uh, part of interpreting Scripture. And that is 
we're missing the entire point when we make it about what the water and the blood is. Because the whole point here is the testimony that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The testimony that if you put your faith in Christ, you'll be saved. And the reason that's important is because if there's three witnesses, we can trust it. And that goes back to Deuteronomy 19.15, where they're instructed that you cannot take testimony against for a crime without two or three witnesses. And so John is here saying... You can truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God because there's three witnesses. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And so the idea that the people that he wrote this to originally probably would have known better what he meant by the water and the blood and the Spirit is true. But the reality is what he's making the point is you can trust this because there's three witnesses. And I want you to think about your own lives just in silly things that we we find out we believe. If you hear one person say, um, I, I, whatever you can think of, and then someone else, and no one else says it, do you really believe it? Like the sky is falling. One person says, the sky is falling. And you go, you're a nut. I don't believe you. But somebody else comes up and goes, hey, the sky is falling. You go, wait a minute. Well, maybe if there's... And then a third person comes up and goes, hey, the sky is falling. And I think you'll find yourself going at the third one and that's even something we know to be foolish because how can air fall we're already in the sky and we know science and all that but three witnesses gives us assurance and the reality is that's what john is trying to do here he's giving us a foundation for our belief that there are three witnesses and that one of them is the spirit of god so if we think about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, that's, that's really big. If we think about Jesus got baptized, but also water came out of his side, okay, I get it. And then the Spirit testifies that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. And then it actually goes on and says, if we read, um, in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself and that's what the spirit does he gives us the testimony within ourselves and if you go back with me to romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 verse 16 i want you to well verse 15 and following i want you to just read read this with me it says in verse 15 you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so that's the testimony that John is talking about here. He's saying you have the testimony of the Spirit down deep inside your heart that testifies for you, that cause, helps you to believe, that gives you something to anchor your soul in, that you can trust the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. I have to share a story with you. When I, when I was a young man in my late teens and in, the, in my 20s, I got into a season of life where some of the activities that I was taking part in made me really have to question God. 
And what I mean by that is it's hard to say that you really believe in God and that Jesus is who he says he is and that everything he says is true and then still do things over here that you know go against him. So it sets up this pattern in in your life, or it can set up this pattern as it did in mine, of questioning whether Jesus is really God or not and whether there is a God and, and all the questions that come from struggling through a period of time. And we have these questions in our minds. And I got into the habit of saying, well, is there even really a God? And then if somebody asked me, I would tell them, absolutely, Jesus died on the cross. I had the right answers. I knew the, I knew the quotations. I was a good Sunday school kid and so on. And, and so I would tell them the truth. And I came to this point in my life where I was pursuing going back to church. I was pursuing helping out at church. And I was thinking, you know, I've got this settled. I know there's a God. But periodically I would still have this struggle with, is there really a God? And one time I was on my way to church in the evening to help out with the youth group. And I really got attacked by, by the enemy. Why are you doing this nonsense? Why are you going over here to this church to work with these youth kids? Is there even really a God? And I have to tell you that I don't hear voices from God. I I don't hear God speaking to me like audible voice. But the words, as powerfully as any words have ever come home to me, ever, fine then, declare that I'm not God, came to my mind. I want you to stop asking the question, is there a God? And I want you to answer the question, there isn't a God. And I'm so thankful for that moment in my life because at that moment, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, deep inside me, there's a God. And His Son is Jesus Christ. Because there's, there's, it's easy for me to say, well, is there? Because that allows me to do all this nonsense I want to do and I'm not sure if God's real or not, so it's not bad if I do this because I'm not really sure. And then I turn around and go, well, there's not a God, and I know for sure. No, no, no. I cannot say that. And what this boils down to is in this testimony, we're given this. It's really important to recognize the gravity of the fact that God gave us this testimony. It actually says in verse 10 here, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony himself, and whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And that's the reality here, folks. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are making as though God is a liar. He's given three witnesses here. And then you don't believe it? You're making it as though God is a liar. And that's a really big deal. To make as though God is a liar. And I want you to think about it in your own life. Have you ever been accused of lying when you didn't lie? I mean, when somebody accuses me of lying and I did lie, that hurts bad enough. But when I actually didn't lie and I get accused of lying, that really hurts down deep inside. In fact, I can think of the times that that has happened to me. I even remember a silly one about a homework assignment in fifth grade, we had to do a recipe 
at home. The assignment it was a, for handwriting, which of course I flunked all those. But so I was supposed to do this to create my own recipe at home, write it down, and then bring it into school. And in this class, I failed a lot. I was constantly getting. I got straight U's for two years with this teacher uh, for write, handwriting. U is unsatisfactory. And um, so I was really trying hard. I went home and I made a peanut butter and mint jelly and cheese sandwich. (laughs) Please remember, I was in the fifth grade. It's not like I had a good palate. And you had to eat it, too, and then you had to write it down. So I did this, and then I wrote it down. And when I took it into the teacher, she said to me, there's no way you did this last night. It's way too sloppy for you to spend any time. You had to just write this in the hallway. I'm not counting it. And I can tell you that to this day, I still remember that and go, man, that really hurt. And, and what's worse is she was my pastor's wife. <laughs> Sorry, Doris. <laughs> she actually was my pastor's wife. And so I thought she should believe me because I went to her church. And yet she didn't. And that's just a, a little thing about a sandwich for Chris. What do you think the weight of the denying the death of Christ on the cross or that he is the son of God to God means. What can that possibly mean to God? And when we think about the testimony, I really want you to think about what it means. A lot of times we'll open the Bible and we'll say these most popular words in our world. To me, this means... I submit to you that that's a foolish statement. That's a statement really put in there so that we don't offend anyone because that leaves room for them to think maybe it's not true, but to me it is true. But the reality is it doesn't matter what you think this means. It doesn't matter what Chris thinks this means. It matters what it means. It doesn't matter what I think God said. It matters what God said. So my only job here is to figure out what he's saying, not figure out if I agree with it or not. Not figure out if it's what I believe or not, but to believe it because he said it. And he gives us three witnesses so that we can stand up and go, hey, the Spirit's testifying in my heart. I can't declare there is no God. And plus he died on the cross and he was baptized and the, there was there's this whatever this water thing is, but I can see where that it comes from. Man, God gave us three witnesses. I can believe. I can trust. And I'm not going to make him a liar. I'm going to put my faith in him. And then to make it simple, he goes, and this is the testimony. I love these two verses in Scripture because if you want to narrow it down, if you're a what's the bottom line kind of a person, he says, this is the testimony. This is what you need to know. This is what you're putting your faith in. Here it is, the testimony. And you would think that that would have been written like back here so that we could go, okay, this is going to take a while to get through. But no, just the next two verses. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you have the Son of God, you have life. Eternal life. And if you don't have the Son of God, you have eternal death. And it's down to this. It's this simple. 
You want to know how to have eternal life? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of who he is, the belief of what he did and who he is, and the trust in what he did and who he is. And you just say, look, when I struggle and when I go, was this really real? I can go. The testimony is that if I believe in Jesus with, with down deep, if I believe, then I have eternal life. And I want to ask you this morning to think about it. Do you believe? When you have this testimony given to you, does it speak in your heart? Is the Spirit awaking in you when you think, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Is that, is that something that wells up in you a little bit? One of my favorite things that John Piper ever wrote about was how to know if you believe or not. And I've, I've said this a thousand times, so if I've said it to you, I, I'm sorry, but it's really moved me in my life. It's been, a, it's been a real anchor. How do you know if you believe or not? If you, if you love Jesus, you know you believe. And then you go, well, I don't really love Jesus that well. A lot of days I don't like him, and it's obvious in my life. Wow, what do I do about that? And you start to get in trouble. And then he goes, well, if you want to believe, if you want to love Jesus... That's indicative of the Spirit because the reality is you wouldn't want to if the Spirit wasn't in you. If the Spirit wasn't testifying in you, you wouldn't want to know what He thinks. You wouldn't want to know what He does. And you can look around to the truly unbelieving people you know and you can see they don't want to know. They don't care. When you tell them, they go, I don't care about that. I have friends that I have said, you know, eternal life is coming whether by the end of the world or by your life. And they go, yeah, whatever. We're all going to die. They don't care. But then there's some days that I don't even care either. Like, I don't really want to. What I want to do is whatever I want to do. And then John Piper says, well, if you wish you wanted to, that would be indicative that the Spirit is working in you because you wouldn't wish you wanted to. And then he goes a step further and says, if you wish that you wished you wanted to, that would be indicative of the presence of the Spirit. And that goes back to what this is saying. The, the Spirit is who testifies within you. And if that Spirit in you is testifying in your heart, this is true, then you have faith in Christ. And if you don't, I want to call upon you to put your faith in Christ. Think of the witness there is to who Jesus is. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And I could go into some deeper definitions. I could, I could pull out the book, The Case for Christ, and go through all the historical facts and, and all the stuff. But John didn't think that was necessary. The Spirit didn't lead John to do that. He just said, hey, dwell on this. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And the Spirit will testify within you. And, and you'll be saved. And this testimony in two, two verses will rock your world. It'll make you want to live for Christ. It'll make you want to look at your neighbor and go, I don't want to hate you anymore. I want to love you. And Lord, and you can pray, Lord, help me not to be me. Help me to be like you. Create in me the love you have. And when he goes on, it's such a blessing as he goes on. So he's, he's given us the reason to believe, and he's given us what we're to believe. And then he says this, he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know 
that you have eternal life. Now, I've heard it argued that for someone to say, I know I'm saved, is a form of arrogance. And I submit to you that that, I don't know if it's heresy, I'd have to ask Tim to tell me for sure or not, but I think that's heresy. Because the Bible here is telling you, the reason it's telling you this is so that you can know that you have eternal life. And I think it's the enemy, and it's the world, and it's my own sin that keeps me from wanting to believe what the Scripture says. It wants me to keep a little bit of power out here on my own that if I don't really believe enough, then I can go ahead and live the life I want because I'm not really sure. And I'm not so sure that I'm committed to the point where when they come to take my property, I have to give it to them. And when they tell me that I I can't spend all my money on myself, I, I can't spend all my money on myself. And when that person that drives me out of my mind comes in the room, I have to actually love them like Jesus loved them. And if we're one of those people, and I speak of myself too, who say, well, I do love them, I just don't really like them, I challenge you to ask if Jesus ever said that to anyone. Because I promise He never did. He never said, well, Chris, I really don't like you, but, you know, I love you, so you're in. That is not the love that Christ calls us to. His is the love that... We can believe in and we can trust in the reality that because of this love of Jesus, because the testimony has put your faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life. And he goes on to to the depth of what this means, this confidence. Think about what it means to have this kind of confidence. And this is the confidence, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I want you to think about this. The living God hears you when you pray and ask Him for things. And when it's, it specifies according to His will, which means that in your heart, He has given you what He thinks is the right stuff to ask for. And that's what I want to go back to, what belief means, that deep down belief that says, what God says is what I think is good and right and true, so what I ask for is good and right and true, because I believe Him. It's not just a mental assent that Jesus died on the cross, it's that He's God, and that what He thinks is what it is, so if He thinks the sky's blue, then it's blue. And I might think it's green, but I have to change my mind. Because He's God. What He says is true. And there is truth. In our culture, truth is actually even attacked. One of my favorite sentences ever. There's no such thing as absolute truth. So there's absolutely no absolute truth? I mean, it's just not... Our our culture has made confusion the order of the day. But the Scriptures make it clear. Here's the testimony. Believe it. And then you can ask things in God's will and He will hear you. It's truth. You can stand on it. You can die on it. And yet we use it to pray for things like, boy, I really hope I can get a new car this year. And he goes on, verse verse 5, let's see, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, And if we know that He hears us, 
in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Imagine that. We know that we have the requests that we ask of Him. I'm praying for unity for us as believers. I'm praying that nothing could divide us in this body. So get ready to not be able to be divided. Because I prayed it. And He says that I get that then. And I know that the will of God will be that we be in unity. So hold on to your seats. I know that 20 million South Korean Christians are praying that the American church will undergo suffering so that they could turn back to God. So hold on to your seats. When we pray in the will of God, we get what we ask for. What a holy and amazing verse. What a, what a powerful thing to think. God's going to hear Chris and give him what he wants. And also, he's going to create in Chris the things that God wants. Because why? Because I work really hard. I do a lot of Christian things. I drink coffee with people several times a week. No. Because of what he did on the cross. He died for our sins. He rose from the death and conquered the grave. And in him we have eternal life. And if we don't have him, we don't have eternal life. And he won't hear us. And we won't have the things we pray for. And he goes on in verse 16, and he says, If anyone sees his brother coming, committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, if you're like me, when I read that, I go, okay, what's this sin that leads to death? Because I mean, need to make sure I don't do that one. Right? And it's just like the blood and the water. We get caught up in this idea of what is it that he's talking about here. And if you dig into this, you're going to see some people think he's referring to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said is the unforgivable sin. Others think other things, and we have all kinds of translations. But what I want you to think about is the context of what he's talking about. He's saying, put your faith in Christ. The testimony is that if you have the Son of God, you have life. And if you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. And I want you to pray for your brothers who commit sins that don't lead to death, that God will bring them back. And I'm not saying pray for the sin that does not lead to death. So the sins that do not... Do not lead to death. He actually says there in verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there's sin that doesn't lead to death. It's not the wrongdoing that leads to death. If you're in Christ, He has paid for your wrongdoing. So it's not your hard work that ensures that you have life. And it's not your hard work that we're to be praying for. It's when we see each other living in sin, we're to be praying for each other, and God will give us the the result of our heart, the result of our asking His will that we would, be, we would overcome our sins. 
And I, I take us back to what being our age Gnostics is. We don't really believe this stuff deep down, but the reality is we should overcome our sins. We aren't supposed to stay in our sins. We aren't supposed to say, well, it's not really that bad. Every sin is really bad, and God gives us the way through His Spirit when He hears us according to His will to give us what we've asked for, which is deliverance from the slavery to sin. And we don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to stay in drinking too much. We don't have to stay in ignoring our spouse and fighting with them over our own little wants and desires. We don't have to stay in the part of us that says, well, I really don't like them, but I do love them. We can move past that to, I love them. And the ones I love, I will die for. And if I can die for them, I surely will be nice to them. And then as far as the the one that does lead to death, I read a bunch of commentaries on this, but the one that made the most sense to me came from Calvin. I'm not promising you that that's the one that makes most sense to you, but what he's saying here is that this, this sin that leads to death is final and complete unbelief. And that makes sense to me because he's talking about believing. And if someone finally and totally unbelieves God, doesn't believe in Jesus, it's not for me to pray against the judgment that God gives to him as though I were more merciful than God is. We're to count on God. And if he finally decides that someone has unbelieved to death, eternal death, to hell, then that is righteous and good and true. And we should trust God with that. But that doesn't preclude over here praying that they will come to believe. It's just that they wouldn't, we would not pray against God and what He has decided to do. And I think that really fits when you think about what this is talking about. Here's the testimony that you have to believe to have eternal life. And believe is the knowledge of, the belief in, and the trust in. And then, by way of conclusion, and by way of what's really going on here, I want you to think about the total passage. All in one. Because that's really, he's making a big point here. And that big point here is that you can trust that Jesus is the Son of God. Because there's witnesses that He is. And so you can put your faith in Christ. And if you do, you have every reason to expect eternal life. So this morning, what I want to say to you is, if there's a doubt in your heart, and if you're struggling, and if when you see your neighbor you hate them, and you have to live with the weight of the fact that you hate someone, I want you to put your faith in Christ and stand up. And, when, and what is faith? It's believing without seeing, right? So when you don't think it, proclaim it. There's a passage in the Bible that says, you'll have peace that passes all understanding. I submit to you that we misuse that all the time. It says you won't understand it. And we say, well, I don't really feel peace. Why is that? Well, because you don't understand it. But the reality is that's a faith proclamation. And what it means is, because I've put my faith in Christ, I have peace. 
whether I feel it or not. Christianity is at its root not a feeling religion. It's truth. And it doesn't matter what my feelings are. It matters what Jesus did. And the witnesses show. So put your faith in Christ. And if you haven't done so, I really urge you to do so. And if you, if you want to talk to me about it, I'd love to talk to you about that. I, I don't do altar calls. I'm, I'm just not... I don't think that's a thing. I know people who've prayed at altar calls and gone home to say, yeah, I did that because someone tricked me into it. That's not what I'm about. But I'm asking you to dig deep inside your heart this morning and ask, do I believe? And I'm sure there's elders here. I see Craig. I see John. I see nobody else because I'm blind up here in this light. But look around and ask them to talk to them about this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the testimony. Thank you for your Son. Thank you that we can believe and that you've given us witnesses to prove. Help us to put our faith in you, O Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.